Well, we want to thank whoever left the barbecue pit on the sandbar halfway down the Black Creek. We found it in the bushes there Tuesday when we were taking 24 kids from Bunny Friend, 20 of our young people, and about 11 other people, including me, and 28 canoes down the Black Creek. It was raining, a drenching rain. We needed to eat our soggy hot dogs. And somebody left a barbecue pit there. We moved it into a little canopy of trees. And it was like a warm hearth in the middle of that cold rain. It was a memorable moment. We made the kids take turns getting next to it. Well, I want this to be a warm hearth experience for you this morning. I want you to get close to the fire. To feel the warmth of God's Spirit in your own life. For some of you, it's very important. It's been a long time since you really experienced the presence of God in an intimate and personal way in your life. And I want this to be the morning for you. I'm praying it'll be the case. I'm going to talk about love makes peace this morning. Not because I am at perfect peace at all times. You're not looking at the example of peace that I ought to be or want to be. But I preach about things all the time where I feel inadequate. I'll bet that happens to you as a teacher. May even happen to you as a parent. Where you're teaching things that you're not really that good at. But you know the kids need to know. And if they get it better than you, that would make you really happy. Love makes peace. From 1 John 3.11. In the series, Love First, if you have your Bibles, turn over there to 311. This is great scripture. It really is. It's wonderful scripture. You know, the scripture says, Jesus is our peace. He himself is our peace. How? He broke down the barriers, he broke down the walls. Peace is not you having no problems. Forget that. Put it out of your mind. That's not peace. That's not going to happen in this lifetime. You having no problems, think about it. Me having no problems, it's just not going to happen. Peace is you making progress in the midst of your problems. Peace is the obstacles coming down so you can move forward with your life in the purpose God has for you. That's what peace is. Peace is God bringing down the barriers. When you feel trapped, frustrated, and in a box canyon, that's when your anxiety level really goes up and your peace just dissipates. Peace is you in the midst of your problems knowing that God is there, opening a way for you to continue to grow and develop, do the work he's called you to do, and experience the meaningful life he has for you. That's peace. And love 
makes peace. Peacemaking is not easy work. So what we read about today is not easy stuff. John writes, the beloved disciple, in 1 John 3.11, this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Say that with me. We should love one another. Say it again. We should love one another. He uses the word love some 35 times in this epistle. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with actions and in truth. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at rest in his presence whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. Say, we passed from death to life. John announces it here. We pass from death to life. This is good news for every disciple of Jesus. We know we've passed from death to life because we love one another, because we love our brothers. Don't be like Cain, John says. You say, who would want to be like Cain? <laughs> Lots of people want to be like Cain. You're going down, brother. I'm going to put you down. The whole dog-eat-dog -dog mentality, the notion that you're the king of the hill and everybody else is at the foot, that's the Cain mentality. Take your brother down. Somebody's going down, and it isn't going to be me. Don't be like Cain. Lots of models out there. You can go to a website today that's entitled, How to Be Like Bella. You know who Bella is? From the Twilight series? 22 years old. 
She made more money last year than any other actress in America. Do you know that? And the website says how to be like Bella. Now, it doesn't mention in the 10, love and vampires. It's not in there, all right? But there's some other things. And somebody had the notion that there are young people out there that want to be like Bella, and so they're trying to turn it to a positive light. Well, who do you want to be like? Who's your model? Who's your role model? There are plenty of people who are following Cain. It says here, Cain belonged to the evil one. He belonged to the evil one. It's so easy to start developing in your mind and heart this perspective of Cain that I'm putting the other down. Have you ever hated anybody who did the right thing and you knew it? At work, they were doing the right thing and you resented it? Got angry at them for it? Knew in your heart it was the right thing they were doing. But you resented it. Watch out. You start being like Cain in that attitude of putting down your brother and not liking those who are doing what is right and being frustrated and angry with them. And you're being like Cain and you're belonging to the evil one. Now, John has brought up the evil one over and over again in this letter as well as in his gospel. There's an active presence of evil in the world. The devil is real. He's going about seeking whom he may devour. You better watch out. He's after you. If you've achieved great things, he aims high. If he can bring you down, that's a feather in his cap. Cain belonged to the evil one. Don't be like him. Cain put his brother down. Don't be like him. This is the culture of death in the world. Anyone who does not love. Did you read this? Did you hear it? Did it hit your ears? Anyone who does not love remains in death. Jesus teaches at one point, remain in me. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you will be very fruitful. There's a whole passage he deals with remaining in him, but you can also remain in death. If you're like Cain, if you're seeking to put your brother down, if you belong to the evil one, if you hate what is good, if you resent and get angry at those who do well and do good, you're like Cain. And you may be part of the culture of death. We know about death here in New Orleans. Invite anybody to come. Had some folks in the office for the first time. This morning they looked out the windows and they said, what is that? I said, that, my friends, is the most visible cemetery in America. Greenwood Cemetery. The most visible cemetery in America. Other places in the world, they bury their dead below ground. Here we bury them at eye level. Not because we want them so more 
so, so much more prominent because if you dig a hole, it fills with water here below sea level. We have the decadence festival here. You know where the word decadence has in it decay? The word actually describes a civilization in decline or the process of bringing a civilization down. We celebrate in decadence immoral self-indulgence. And it's part of the culture of death in our city. When Anne Rice lived here, she had St. Elizabeth on Napoleon. Some of you were there. I did a wedding at St. Elizabeth's some years ago, and when I walked in the front door, they steered me toward a side room. I walked into that room, and there is a four-foot vampire doll staring down at me like this, standing in a casket. Just ding! Ah! And there's one across over here. And there's another one over here. And I'm like, ee, ee, ee. No vampires and voodoo, the living dead, the self-indulgence, the excess, the violence. It's all part of a culture of death. And sometimes we just say, well, that's what it is. We throw up our hands like there's nothing we can do about what goes on in this city, about the culture that we have, the negative aspects of that culture. But God has given us a strategy for challenging, exposing, confronting and transforming the culture of death. We do not have to remain in death. And the strategy is an authentic, genuine, divine love planted in the hearts of his people. It is more powerful than anything out there that opposes it. If it is unleashed in a culture, it brings transformation. Unleashed in a human heart, it changes the personality. And we know this love. We know this love. We pass from death into life and we know this love. That's what John says. I don't know a lot of things. I know that I should not have taken my camera, my phone, and my wallet on that canoe trip. All right? When the camera went under, I was going to show you the last picture it took, but we're still struggling to get it, all right? I thought, Crosby, you are an idiot. My phone went under. I said, Crosby, you are a fool. My wife says, David, live and learn. 
I said, I've been here 60 years nearly on this planet. You think you learned something in 59 and a third years? The camera's dead. It cannot come back. The phone is dead. I have a new one. My wallet floated out at a bold rescue attempt. All right? I want to cast in this in some good light, okay? The canoe turned over with three in there. Corinna was in there. I know she was, and there were two others, and I turned over right in front of me, and there was a current rushing, and the canoe filled up, and everything dumped in. It got stuck on the stop. I made sure the kids were out. I pulled mine aside. I made sure the kids were out. Worked at it for 10 minutes, getting that canoe over to the side. Felt my hip, and my wallet was gone. This completes the day. We look and look for the wallet. No wallet anywhere. The kids helped. Where's Corinna? Where's Corinna? Wave your hand, Corinna. Where are you, girl? I know she's here somewhere. Anyway, so I got in the canoe, and I thought, boy, what a day. We head down the river, and I'm thinking, God, is this really, am I really this ignorant? All right. And 300 yards down the river, I'm kind of watching, you know, and I had put the wallet in a sandwich bag. I don't know what possessed me to do it. Some guy said, put the wallet in the sandwich bag, so I didn't. And we get to this big stump, and there's a little eddy of foam with some bottles and cans in it about this, about this big around. And I told Terrell, I said, hey, Terrell. Terrell was my lead man. Let's go over there and just look, see. Maybe, who knows? So we pull over to the stump, and I'm looking at this swirling little foam spot, and I see a little bubble in the foam. I think, what is that? So I get close, I reach in there, I pull it out. It's my wallet. (laughs) This, This proves that God loves fools. And he watches over us even when we're brain dead. This is it. And that is a happy grin. I don't know a lot of things. Sometimes I think I'm the dumbest person that lives here. But I know one thing. I know what love is. Hey. I know what love is. Not because I have a staggering IQ. Or I went to school a long time. I know what love is. This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us. That's how we know what love is. And we're in a world that doesn't know what love is. And love is the most powerful thing they could possibly unleash in their marriage, in their parenting, their family, and their workplace, and their school. The most powerful thing, the transforming thing. It is, it is the energy of God unleashed in humanity, this love, and people don't know what it is. But his church knows. We know what love is. It's a man who cares. 
laying down his life for another. See, if being like Cain is putting your brother down, being like Jesus is laying down your life. Somebody's going down, Lord, and it's going to be me. I will not live this life of king on the mountain. I do not see any transforming power in it. Just greed and self-indulgence and selfishness. I will not live it. Lord, I want to live the love life because I know what love is. I watch you love. I watch you lay down your life. I see you on the cross and I know that's love. Love settled at the cross of Christ. We know what love is. And everything in your being will resist the call to lay down your life. If Christ loved us this way, we ought to lay down our life for the brother. And something inside you says, baloney. I refuse to do that. I will not be anybody's doormat. There's a pride in us that wells up. Hey, we want to sit in the throne. We want to be like the Most High. We want to be the one in control. Every human impulse that we have resists the idea of laying down our life. We use the doormat metaphor sometimes to avoid the challenge of laying our lives down. Now, if you are a person who feels you have no worth and you just let people run over you, that's not what I'm talking about. You've got to stand up for yourself. You have to love yourself. You've got to love your neighbor like you love yourself. You don't love yourself. There's something fundamentally sick in your soul. Jesus needs to correct that. He's the answer for self-hatred and low self-esteem. It is the Father's love that lifts you out of that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the willingness to go down in love for the other. To lay your life down. John Burton and his family are here this morning. Wave your hands there. John and Heather have four children. This is their last day to be with us. You know where they're going? They're taking their four children to Southeast Asia. Why? Because the call of God's on their life, right, John? This is what God called us to do. This is what following Jesus means to them. Every time I see Bob and Amy Little, who raised their three children in the bush in Africa, I think, Lord, help me lay down my life.
Don't let me get selfish. Don't let me get conceited and self-absorbed. Lord, I know what love is. And I know how you turned it loose in this world. And I know how I can turn it loose in my marriage by laying my life down. And my family by laying my life down. I mean, what gives you the right to defy the call to lay your life down when your Savior laid his life down for you? Was there anything just in that? Or was that just love? When the thoughts well up that fight the notion that we lay down our lives, you look at Jesus on the cross. This is the central symbol of our faith. The perfect Lamb of God dying on behalf of sinners, you and me, that he loves. This is what love is. Lay down your life. When we do so, we are at rest in his presence. We can come into the presence of God having laid it all down and be at peace in his presence. Sometimes you're anxious when you're in the presence of your boss. You get anxious in the presence of important people. You stumble around and fumble for words because you were anxious. There's an anxiety that comes even when you're around people like you and me. But to be in the presence of God, the Holy One, the Heavenly Father, and to be at peace in His presence, that's a marvelous gift. It's a great way to be. And it happens only as you lay your life down. If you choose to take down the other, anyone who does not love like this remains in death. But anybody who loves like this turns his life loose for the sake of Christ and the gospel to follow the Lord who loved them. Anybody who loves like this is at peace in the presence of the Father. I want to be there. The conscience that disturbs us when we approach the place of prayer, the conscience that condemns us when we come to the house of worship, the voice that speaks when you sit in the pew and says, you hypocrite, if these people knew who you were, They'd escort you out. You know that voice? You know that disturbance in your soul when you get close to the Almighty? It's there because He has business to do in you. And it's business only 
he can do. You can't do it. No friend you have can do it. You can't find a professional out there who can do it. The disturbance of your soul, only he can fix. And he does it as he loves you, washes away your sin, and receives you into his family through faith in him. Hey, Father is calling you. Can you hear? Let's bow together. Lord, we do want to hear from you. And we know we need you, Lord. We need your word to our hearts. We need your forgiveness. We need your strength and wisdom. Lord, we need to know your love. God, do you work in us. Every young person, every child, every adult in this room, let us hear from you. God, speak to us even right now by your Holy Spirit. Make it clear what sin we are to repent of what activity we are to abandon, what new practice must come into our lives, what commitment we can make, and Lord, what it means to lay our life down in this marriage that we've got, this family we've got, this job we're in, what it means at this moment in our lives to lay our life down. God, help us do it so that we may know and experience your love flowing through us And so our hearts can be at rest when we come into your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.